welcome to Energy Radio. This is episode 66. And on this episode, we go inside the house. But first, my co-host uh, and executive producer of this uh, program, Lisa Katz. Lisa, welcome to Energy Radio. Thank you very much, Matt. How are you today? Sore. I am sore uh, from, from yesterday. From shoveling all of that snow yesterday? Yes, those of us uh, who had to shovel it the old-fashioned way uh, are feeling it this morning. Um, you, you, I know, were uh, taking full um, benefit of technology. Uh, yes, I you was. Did not, you did not have to shovel, right? I did not have to shovel. Well, Fallon did shovel actually for clarity a little bit, right. but uh, most of the driveway, like 90% of it, we were able to do with a snowblower. So thank God for that because, uh, well, I'm pregnant and would not be able to lift nearly half of what I would have been able to pre-pregnancy from a, a weight and snow perspective. So yeah, technology was a good thing for us yesterday. That's for sure. For for our listeners, this will come out a couple of days or maybe a week or so later uh, and and we just went through I think what's being called Snowmicron uh, up here. <laughs> uh, we we got dumped. I think there's you know without exaggerating two feet of snow uh, in in Niagara where I am. Um, that's not drift. You know drift can get up to four feet. So well, am I uh, am I right by saying I think I heard on the news yesterday that this is this it was the single uh, what do you want to call it um, largest snowfall since 1999. I think really yeah. Wow. That's 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 believable. Uh, yeah. I was I was saying it's been since I was a kid that I remember you know this uh, this much snow. So, um, anyways, we you know with all due respect to Al Gore and uh, climate change, uh, we did not come to talk the weather. We, as I said, we went we're going in the house uh, for this episode, and we have invited uh, CEM's director of engineering, uh, a fellow Star Wars fan, and an all around. Good dude, Mr. Bill Davidson. Bill, welcome to Energy Radio. Hey, thanks very much. I'm glad to be here. We're glad to have you. Um, so let's jump right in for the benefit of our leaders, or our our listeners, uh, who are leaders uh, in the industry, just so you know your audience. Um, let's start with a question I often ask our guests, which is um, on the heels of, uh, I just watched um, Spider-Man No Way Home, with my 10-year-old son for his birthday. And, uh, you know, those comic books always have an origin story. Like, where where did they come from? Uh, what made them to be the superhero that they are today? And so, uh, Bill, tell us your origin story. How did you come to be the superhero that you are in the engineering and energy space today? Wow. Um, I'm definitely not a superhero. But anyway, I do have an origin, so let, let's go with that. Um, yeah, I'm actually from Corona, Ontario which um, I think, you know, otherwise would be sort of a nondescript town on the border with uh, Michigan. But the truth is most people uh, have heard about it uh, simply because there are a bunch of chemical plants there. So I grew up um, what is basically called the Chemical Valley. Um, had to drive through that every day to, to uh, go to school. And that explains for our, for our audio only listeners, Bill has a third eye and that explains it. In, in chemical Valley. <laughs> I grew up on the St. Clair river. Uh, I fished in that river. I, yeah, I actually ate the fish from that river. Uh, that's regrettable now, but anyway, at the time we just, we just did it. So, uh, so yeah, I'm from that area. I've actually, um, you know, I'm from the Sarnia area. There's a bunch of small towns south of there and basically as a as a child we we lived in all of i lived in all of those places but i i, I basically call corona my home uh, but even though i you know the the next big town was sarnia and then the next big city would be detroit so i'm i'm uh, pretty familiar with the, the michigan side being a you know grow, growing up on on the the border there um my sesame street had xyz type of thing ah. right so my, i do speak american english um, okay. and uh, uh -huh. heavily influenced. I did live in the U.S. for seven years in, in Connecticut. Um, so uh, going back a step, I took chemical engineering at Western. Um, I took the environmental and biochem option, which uh, I found to be really interested, always been uh, interested in biology and the environment, and uh, I really enjoyed chemical engineering. I, I found it to be uh, something that it, it just is very versatile, right? Um, and uh, the, the truth is they were telling us at the time when we were taking it that um, a lot of chemical engineers end up in business. Um, they didn't teach us business, unfortunately, but they told us basically <laughs> to take to take some. But what, what's funny is that knowing that 
they added that to the curriculum after after I left, which is you know good for, good for all those students coming up after. So okay, uh, okay. yeah. So so basically, um, I I wonder what it is about like why did they think chemical engineers in particular would land in business? Like why did it skew that way? They were citing statistics at the time. Oh, okay. Mm. Yeah, right. right. So, so I don't really know the causality of it. What really, uh, what, what really did it? But they they were just saying, in retrospect, it would have made sense if we were actually teaching you guys business, since it looks like you're going to go into it anyway, into right some, sort of, some sort of management of some kind. You're going to need um, a business background. And, and here, and here you are. And here we Manage, are managing in a small business. Awesome. <laughs> another another data point. Yes. Right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, yeah. So, so basically, out of school, um, I went uh, right into the combustion industry, and uh, I worked for a a burner uh, and combustion OEM in Mississauga. Um, they closed down, and I moved to uh, Connecticut to their office down there. So I lived in the U.S. for six or seven years. Uh, really enjoyed it. And uh, this, our, of, this is this is a uh, Connecticut. Is it like? Connecticut kind of has two halves, right? Like there's the Hartford half, and then there's like might as well be part of New York City half. Is that like do I have the geography right or <laughs> that's not? A, no? It's a great way to put it. What, what it? what's always I found there's a lot of things I find funny about Connecticut. I know we don't have hours to talk about it, but I have a lot to say about it. It's interesting place, you know, especially when coming from where I come from. Um, the accent kills me because it's people e will either take the Boston or New York accent because they kind of are halfway between. Um, or they do a mixture of them, and and mm. those are strong accents, right? It's not, <laughs> right? So it's 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 really interesting in how people from the same city can have completely different accents because they're more influenced um, by one or the other. And of course, if you if you know the area at all, you must pick a baseball team, and it has to be one of those two. Right? So, <laughs> so it's a really interesting area. Um, but I love our our, um, our apologies to uh, Jake uh, Jake Friedman in particular with Green Structure. I think he's from Connecticut, if, and he's a listener of the show. So if we've done anything to disparage the great uh, state of Connecticut, <laughs> please please forgive us. Anyway, so you, you you make your way down to Connecticut to uh, to to deal with combustion. Uh, I cut you off. Sorry, keep going. Yeah, no problem. So I, so uh, so basically, our clients down there. Uh, well, first of all, I was mostly project engineering work down there for me, project management. Um, I also did like a lot of process engineering and, uh, you know, a bit of programming and stuff to mm. support uh, the process engineering uh, side of it. I've always been a, a computer nerd and I always kept that up. So I was able to maintain that and found it useful in, in the work I was doing. Um, our, our clients at the time were, you know, a mixture of, of uh, boiler OEMs and also a bunch of like direct users that were in all industries, including the power industry. So I did work back then even a bit with um OPG, Sask Power, uh, mm. Jacksonville Electric. I worked with on a, on a really big job down there. So, uh, yeah. and then yeah. So then eventually I moved back to. I had a child down the, in the, in the U.S. and uh, that was really my impetus to to move back because my wife has a rather large family and uh, they didn't know my my son and he didn't know them and I, I felt bad. So it was kind of a you know I hadn't I'd always thought I'd go to the states. Having grown up on the border, I was basically uh, felt American anyway. Um, to be honest, and always knew that I would end up there, but hadn't really thought it out completely. To be com to com be completely honest, so we ended up coming back. Um, you brought you brought your child with you. Brought, I, I did. <laughs> yes. Well, and, and I was about to say that uh, you know he is Bill is sort of still American because he listens he and he pays attention to U.S. politics because I know him. Uh, and doesn't really care so much for the political stuff and landscape in Canada, so he's still I, somewhat American. Well, hold on, we're going to get we're going to get into Doug Ford's escapades in a minute, so we're, we're just, just, just cool your jets there. I, I researched Canadian politics right before it's time to vote, and and otherwise, I just I catch bits and pieces. I made an um an active effort, I guess you could say, uh, in the summer of last year. I just decided this is ridiculous. I live in this country. I need to know about it because I can tell you everything about uh, U.S. politics and, and history. And I just couldn't do it. I couldn't get into it. I tried so hard. So, um, so, so I guess I'll go back to my normal uh, period, periodical uh, look at it um, as it is. We, we have some we have some peers, and particularly one in the West, who could help you with uh, Canadian politics if you'd yes, like. I, think you could. I know who you're talking. About. Yes, <laughs> I will. I will. Uh, I've actually. Uh, um, I, I've actually gone and talked to him about a few things in that, and and, uh, and and you're right, he does know a lot about it. So. Um, yeah. So anyway, I, I, I moved back to uh, here and I had this 
uh, combustion background. I knew boiler and OEMs. So I ended up working at Babcock and Wilcox in uh, Cambridge. Um, it was a pretty uh, e easy move there and uh, really enjoyed that job and the, and the, and the people there. Um, I did work as a bit of a project engineer there, but mostly I, I just I worked as their combustion specialist working in their engineering technology group. Um, and I got to do so many different things in that group. It, it was amazing. Um, and that engineering technology group is basically an R&D group. Um, but we were also tasked with just like solving hard technical engineering type problems that the main engineering group didn't want to deal with. They just tossed it over the fence and we'd be like, OK, mm -hmm. we can figure this out. Um, we did uh, like me, me specifically, I got to work on a bunch of projects within that group that I just wouldn't have been able to otherwise. Like I got into uh, oxy combustion for carbon capture, uh, which is really uh, interesting. I, I ended up, um, I got to be a member, uh, their representative of uh, on a carbon carbon capture consortium uh, back in the day with the University of Ottawa and uh, uh, Waterloo and a, a bunch of other people from industry uh, working with um, uh, the government. Anyway, that, that, was, that was good. Uh, I also got to do a really uh, neat project on burning oil sands bitumen. Um, oh, okay. Just taking it right out of the ground and not processing it at all. Like what, how, how would this work? Really, really interesting. Um, it was, I'll, I'll just tell you, it's really hard. Um, but there, there are solutions to the issue, uh, to, to that issue. I won't go into detail, but, but that was a lot of fun trying to figure that out and actually working with the, the test rigs and that, and that type of thing. Sounds like um, you were doing really, really expensive science fair projects. That that's exactly what we're doing. Yeah. Spending somebody yeah. else's money to do science is so much fun. And uh, but did, but did your parents help you? Like that's the real question. <laughs> <laughs> no, un uninterested. Yeah, it's no, it's it, 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 uh, it's not a science fair project unless your parents had to help you finish, finish it at night. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Um, but no, I, I I enjoyed that aspect of it, and and I I worked um, I guess along the same lines. I worked heavily on uh, technical development of an oil sands field directed boiler that they were working on at the time at Babcock. And again, I was I was responsible for uh, the combustion side of it. And uh, that was a really, really, oh, man, it was a great learning experience, but it was also very harrowing at the time because, you know, we had like two years to do it, but we had to hit numbers. When I say numbers, I'm talking NOx emissions um, that had never been met before for something this large, you know, field directed multi-burner applications. So I hadn't been done before. And, and you know, they kind of said that I could, you know, I could use inside resources because we, we had burner technology there at Babcock or we could go outside and that type of thing. I ended up going back to the company I had worked for. Um, and, you know, I knew, I knew everybody was really comfortable. I knew exactly what they knew, right? Like where their technology was. The ironic part being that they, I knew when I left, I knew they couldn't do this. Um, but that had been a couple of years earlier. So I called them and said, hey, what you working on these days? What's, um, where's your technology at? And they claimed they could do it. So uh, I was like, with their new technology they had developed in the couple of years I had been gone. And I said, okay, well, you're going to need to show me. And uh, we went through um, all the testing and that, again, spending spending money to do science. And it was a lot of fun and a lot of like long hours. I actually ended up with uh, with foot problems from uh, standing out on the test rig for, for days. Like wow. just for really, really long hours. And, and uh, yeah, I had foot problems for a couple of years after that. But at the time, you don't care. It's just really fun. And you just want, there's no way I'm going back and sitting down somewhere. I'm, I want to be right there. So it was uh, it was great. Anyway, um, so I, I, I lost a lot of sleep in those couple of years, just kind of worrying about it, whatever. And it was my responsibility. But in the end, it worked. So uh, it was it was great, uh, that experience. And OK, so also in that group, I did a lot of uh, process simulation stuff. We had a we had a, a CFD expert uh, in the group. Uh, he was uh, like a PhD guy who would do that kind of work. I always loved the CFD thing, and they, he would simulate the whole boiler combustion part of it, and, and that was great. But I would do a lot of the process simulation stuff. So if you're familiar with the type of software that is used on that side, like uh, HiSim, HiSys from Aspen, and that, I would use all that. Um, and I was also tasked with finding the new study, actually going out and and seeing what's at, what the industry looks like and testing them all out and that. I learned an awful lot just from from that one uh, experience. I actually, this has nothing to do with anything, but I was glad that I had taken Fortran, of all things, the programming language, yeah. if you don't know, from back in the day. Because what was crazy is all of the of those programs, the big commercial ones at the time anyway, 
um, even though they had like Windows style interfaces that were modern, the um, the basically the basis of them was the same as it was back in the I guess the 80s or whatever, and they were still using Fortran the base as the basis. And because we wanted to uh, heavily modify it, customize it, I had to actually use Fortran to do that because um, hmm. you wanted to simulate stuff that they they just hadn't done before, like like um, uh, at least it, at the time they hadn't done coal combustion, and and that's hmm. one of the things I was doing. So anyway, um, so here we here we are again talking, Lisa, about how the sausage is made, Go, going yeah. inside. There. <laughs> yeah, so, exactly. Sorry, that's, if that's I'm going really, into too much detail, I, I no, no, I, this, oh, is, this is good. This is good. Great, okay, yeah. so, so, um, so also in that group, uh, we it also doubled as the uh, emissions controls group because we had a larger one in um, our office in in Barberton in, in Ohio, but we wanted it to extend it to. Um, the one in Cambridge. So we started getting into that. So I had to learn all about emissions control equipment, you know, SCRs, uh, FGDs. Our initialism's okay here. I don't want to say the, the full words, but anyway, SDA, ESPs, you know, all, all these things, bag houses. Um, and we also did like carbon injection for uh, controlling uh, mercury and dioxin, hmm. um, that, that type of stuff that, you know, really dangerous stuff. And uh, I guess along the same lines, uh, we also wanted to develop waste to energy because that had come around. I know it's very right. Canada, very cyclic, right? And it, this was coming back up again. But of course, that entire time where we had gotten rid of it in the 90s and, and, and all that uh, with the NDP coming in, um, in Europe, they were still doing it. So there was lots of examples. And I, and I got to, on, on their dime, travel Europe, looking at all these different sites. It was fantastic um, to find out how it's done in, in the rest of the world. So anyway, so I got to work on that for, for quite a while. So that was uh, Babcock and Wilcox. And then in uh, 2014, uh, I went on to Echodyne, a water treatment company. Um, had a great experience there. Uh, great people, great company. They're owned by uh, Marmot and Berkshire Hathaway, uh, ultimately. So mm. yeah, so um, so working for a big company like that was, uh, was really interesting. Um, but again, a great experience. That was really my my foray into uh, management because I took over as the engineering and operations manager, and I was head of project management and and and, and all that type of thing. So I did that for uh, seven years essentially before coming to CEM. And I, and I do want to note that in all of these places that I worked, I've always been heavily involved on the um, process improvement side. So when when ISO came up and or became really popular in, in the late 90s, I was I was right there and, uh, you know, started off with taking a couple um, internal auditing courses type thing and then kind of expanded so that I've always played a huge role in that um, in, in, in all these companies. In fact, um, I, when I was at Babcock and Wilcox, I did some other other things on top of the ISO stuff, but uh, being involved in that, um, I was. Uh, we, we, they were bringing in a program called, I think it's called HPI, and it had come from uh, the nuclear industry, although I worked on the on the fossil side, the thermal power side, as you know, BNW also has a nuclear side. Right. And they wanted to, to bring this uh, program, it's human performance something, improvement, that's what it was, human performance improvement. It was something that had basically come out of Three Mile Island disaster, essentially. Um, right. Right, so it was, it was kind of like, how do we not, um, let this happen again because it was almost like the way it sounds is like people are the issue and that wasn't really the way they meant it but that's kind of how, kind of how it comes up <laughs> but uh anyway it was a program where um it, you know you'd be teaching a two-day course uh to people and they want and they were thinking that i could be one of the teachers so we did a bit of a teach the teacher well a two-day full course that doesn't have any sort of classroom activity you're just lecturing for two days straight that's a lot of material yeah so yeah, so they did. They just showed up, and it's re it was really detailed. Like a lot of, it was it was really well done. I'll just start with that. Um, when they did this train the trainer thing, they had a lady who had um, had already worked in a bunch of uh, government labs in the states, and that uh, especially with the nuclear weapons programs, and that um, and uh, you know, so they take this stuff seriously, um, and she she went through all these slides over. I don't even know how many days it was. And it was really interesting because at the at the end of it, like I said, it was really well done. Lots of good jokes, lots of good anecdotes, things to think about, lots of good information, good videos, all, all these things. There's a lot of it was about psychology and science and things I'm really interested in. But at the end of the day, when they when they said, OK, so do you, are, are you on board? Do you want to present this to to the engineers? I was like, 
hell no. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like because I said, I got to be honest with you. Like, I, and I'll give you an example of something that was in it. There's all kinds of things in it that weren't backed up with anything. These are engineers you're going to be talking to, right? When you, when you put up a graph, they're going to ask for the source, right? Like, th this, is, this is just how they work. And uh, one of the things I, I thought was really funny, it just showed where, where their head was at on this or, or maybe where their previous audiences were is, is maybe a little more um, apt, where uh, basically I can't remember the details of the joke, but essentially the punchline was that um, on the slide, there were numbers at the bottom instead of the, the text that obviously you'd be interested in the text, the words at the top, there was numbers at the bottom and a, a really easy sort of math problem. And the punchline was that when you get down there, you, you wouldn't have, there's an ironic part that you wouldn't have bothered to look at the, the, uh, the numbers and have done the math. Of course, when I, when they, when she did the joke to me, it didn't make any sense because obviously I had done the math. I'm an engineer. <laughs> look at the words, right? Like it did. And I said, I said, the engineers in the group, which is all of them in this case, will have no choice. If they see words and they see blah, 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 and there's math, they're like, oh, my, my brain is automatically doing the math already. I'm already done. And then the punchline comes and you're like, I don't get it. So anyway, so it was full of things like that. So I just said to them, even though there's like 200 slides, I said, look, if I were, if I were to do this, I'm, I'm really sorry, but if I were to do this, um, I don't want to get eaten alive by, by these people. So uh, I would have to basically modify every slide. And they said, okay, done. And I was like, hmm. oh. <laughs> so, so, so I was committed and, and, uh, and did it. I, but it ended up being a, a really great experience. And of course, I still got you know, the, 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 which are really legitimate questions in that and pushback that you would expect um, from technical people. And, uh, it, but overall, a great experience. And I really like that type of thing, right? Um, where you're explaining a new concept to people who maybe, maybe aren't, don't, aren't just going to jump in with both feet and it's expected, right? You don't, you, you can't blame them. So anyway, anyway, there's a, uh, well, oh, and so so, Bill, that so you 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 leave Ecodyne, Ecodyne, and you're yeah. now at CEM, and you're with us for how long now? It's 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 under it's a only, year. Or is it? It's funny under because I told, I told under somebody I told somebody it was a year yesterday, and then I checked it out after. It's only been nine months. Nine so months, really? It, it, it's March. It's, it's end, of, end of March. Yeah, it's it's wow. Yeah. And I know it probably feels like forever to you, though. <laughs> <laughs> right, <laughs> Yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a good thing, but but yeah, it does feel like I've been here for for quite a while. So so what now? So you're at CEM. Uh, obviously, Matt and I know you pretty well, but but for our listeners, like, what excites you about CEM or the energy space? Because obviously, you've kind of you know you're from where you've come to where you are now. I mean, it's a little bit of a different world, right? Like, and 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 obviously, there's been there's climate change. We're in the middle of an energy transition. There's a whole bunch of stuff going there. So I'll let you uh, I'll let you answer that one. Well, you kind of hit the nail on the head right there in what you just said. Like um, the areas I'm from are, I guess I would say older industries, right? Like the water industry, the equipment mostly, at least for the type of things we were doing, because it was, it was mostly the non-membrane stuff, um, was, um, you know, 60s technology. And the boiler industry, uh, except for the changes in controls and materials, it's from the 1800s. And uh, it's not that that's not awesome. It is. I love that kind of stuff. Um, but at the same time, um, getting into something that is a little uh, has changed a bit more in the, in, in the recent past is, is has always been uh, appealing to me. And and you just talk about climate change. I mean, we just have we have this the existential, I guess, crisis of our time uh, going on. And I did get to to be a little bit involved uh, when I was at Babcock and Wilcox, but we but we weren't totally in the energy space and having the ability to get into not just um you know like carbon capture type stuff and that but more about where is our future energy coming from and how do we make sure that we slow this progress down uh, and, and and when i say progress i mean the progression of uh, co2 concentration um i want to be right there and i haven't been i've always been on the periphery and that has been um hugely appealing to me about coming into the energy space especially when you have somebody um, or some like a, a management group. I was really thinking about Matt when I was when I was about to say this, but it really is the management group that is so progressive and forward thinking in this area. No, oh, that's that's cool. That's awesome. And and I want to just go back for a second to something you said earlier when you were sort of going through your you know the main part of your introduction. 
and you were talking about that presentation and like, come on, you got to appeal to an engineer, right? I, I'm thinking about some of our listeners who are maybe not necessarily engineers or yeah. and or who, yeah. who, you know, in some cases could be students because we have a variety of people who are listening. Like what traits do you think are absolutely necessary for an engineer to possess? That's That's a really interesting question because we get into that question in the context of when we want to hire people. And often I will ask questions that have nothing to do with what we're talking about here, simply because I see that they went to a school and I know that if they were able to get through that, they would have these traits. And I think a lot of these are the things that you're, you're, you're talking about right now. And one of what, uh, you know, the, ma- the major ones that are, you have to be able to logically think your way through something. Problem solving is something they always talk about with engineers. Now, um, what's a little disappointing is that the problem solving is very, I guess you could say linear. Um, it, it's not lateral thinking that we take in school. And that is something that I personally try to push on to uh, engineers is uh, the sort of lateral thinking. Take a step back and and question all your assumptions type of thing, because at least when I went to school and from what I've seen, um, that's not really part of the curriculum. And I would love to see it that way, uh, because you would you would there's lots of time that would not be wasted if, if you did not go that way. So I'd love to see that trait uh, in engineers. And here, you know, there's there's something that I, I'm, I'm gonna say that the US does a little bit better um, because uh, I know things have changed a little bit, but for the most part, the uh, curriculum for engineers in Canada is pretty static. Um, you have you have a few electives here and there, but in the States, they, uh, they appear to have a lot more. And, and I meet engineers that took philosophy all the way through and I'm like, oh, that would be amazing because that is basically what I'm talking about here, right? Like if you know the, the, base, the basics of epistemology before you even uh, graduate, you're, you're going to be that much more of an, um, an asset, uh, I think. You, you end up learning that stuff anyway, but um, I'd rather you not learn it the hard way. Right? <laughs> so. what, what do you think drives that difference? Do you think that's because Canadian schools are accredited and the American schools are not? Well, they do have accreditation. They have accreditation in the states. It's just done differently, right? Uh, but I think that does have. I think you're right, though. I think that has something to do with it. Where we would rather have it. It's easier to have things accredited if they are uniform. That's just right, a fact, right? And uh, um, easier uniform to test and it. and uniform and it, it strikes me that it's more densely packed into four years to ensure that graduating engineers have met the level of accreditation whereas in the u.s maybe they have a bit more margin for you know thinking deep thoughts about being unemployed and, and philosophy and um <laughs> oh sorry i i thought i was on mute um and, and uh uh you know that they they know that the testing will catch you know catch it after the fact i'm just i'm totally thinking off the top of my head as evidenced by um the conversation but it's it's a thought but i agree with you bill that being more well-rounded is a is a dramatic uh, benefit uh, as you as you progress in your career. We can't all be chemical engineers that are destined for business leadership, but we can all try to be more well-rounded, right? I I really love the well-rounded sort of uh, argument. I mean, I, I I remember working with a guy in the states, and he was telling me some electives he took, and I'm just like, this is a, like he took like uh, literature, women women authors, literature in a certain time period. Like it was so specific. I'm like, wait. Did you take another degree as well? He's like, no, I took this in engineering. I'm like, that's amazing. I mean, wow. it's just to, just to be able to, uh, um, I don't know, have, as you say, be well more well, well-rounded, but just have an expanse of knowledge because there are, I have to say that you can see the, the I, I want to call it, I guess I'll call it narrowness uh, of the thinking in, in, um, in engineers sometimes. And, uh, and don't get me wrong, you, you, the question was about, what are the basics that engineers need? They definitely have the things they need when they graduate, as far as I'm concerned. Right. That's great. Um, and like I said, I just assume that anyway. But there are this sort of handful of things that um, it's not that hard in, in my mind to teach this stuff. And uh, if, if I'm being really honest, some of the stuff could be taught before uh, they ever get to, um, to university as well. Like so some of the basics of philosophy and stuff like that. Like, I, I, it's funny because one of one of the, the um, one of the things that got me into philosophy later on. I, I was into it earlier on in my life, but when I took engineering 
we actually had to take one course in the philosophy department, actually by a philosophy professor, and that mm. was ethics. Everybody takes ethics, right? Um, but I was blown away by it, by the history and, and, and that type of thing. And it's stuck with me um, all these years. To, and, and to go into the other divisions, not just ethics, obviously important to engineers, but so are the other ones, right? right. So. so we talk about being well-rounded. We talk about, you know, uh, what's important to engineers. What, what's been important to you as you've moved from, you know, uh, expensive science fair projects up into you know management and leadership roles in a technical environment. I mean, what what skills have you had to either develop or refine as you've made that transition? That's a really good question, and and um, it's it's unfortunately I had to do some of it the hard way because it never really got taught to me. But but I do have to give credit where it's due, and, and there were lots of people who were very supportive of me in my past um, that told me what I would need. Right. And so I was able to to have those skills by the time I got there. But the ones I didn't specifically, this, this one's funny because it's something that, um, you know, everybody should learn from an early age. But if you if you want to know how to help people and in my mind, that's what management is uh, is about, like give people what they need to be successful. Obviously, you hear that all the time. Right. Give people what they need to be successful, but really mean it. What is that? What does that actually mean? How would not, you not to. Not to mince words, I would say that's what leadership's about. I'm not sure if that's what management is about. But. Very good. Totally agree. Leadership, you're absolutely right. Important designation there. Um, but in order to get that information, right, um, you, you, you're, you're saying that you want them to be successful, but prove it by finding out. Get the data that you need. And how do you get that data? How do I get out of the people what, what, uh, what they would need to be successful? And I found, going full circle here, what skill what, did I have to learn? Active listening. Um, it's something that, like I, I, I did a little bit of debating in my past, and, and something that you have to learn is active listening. I never understood how important it was. I really didn't. Mm. And, and, uh, and I have to admit, I, wasn't never, I was never great at it. And, and I, I kind of I really regret that because it wasn't until later on in life that I just realized how important it was. If you can't re repeat back to somebody what they said to you, at least the gist of it, wh why were you even there? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. it, it, it's, it's so uh, in the same vein, if you're going to use people to the best of their abilities, use the, the traits and skills that they have uh, mm -hmm. in the best way, you have to know what they are. So. I would say that, that that's basically the main thing. And, and to be clear, this um, approach or strategy or whatever is a little bit more longer term. It takes a little bit more time than maybe more traditional ways of, of, uh, of being a manager. But I think it totally pays dividends in the long run. So there you go. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. And, and what, uh, what, what do you see as another... Um, you know, growth area for you as 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 a leader as you continue to develop. You know, where's an area where uh, you, you hope to uh, grow as a continually continually growing and developing leader in a in a technical space. Well, also, I want to I want to start by saying that the the space that um, that we just talked about is is somewhere where I don't think I'm done growing. So mm. I want to I want to continue along that because I know I'm not. 100% successful. I mean, that's always a goal and it's not possible, but I just want to be clear that I'm not abandoning that one. Now, the bi the biggest one for me, I think, and, I, and it's just because of the situation I'm in, is I need to know this industry more than I do. Like I said, I've always been on the periphery of it. But when I'm talking to people, they expect me to not only be a voice of reason and, and, and whatever pathway going uh, forward, they want me to make decisions. They also want me to know what I'm talking about. And uh, that, that, that's pretty important. And, uh, I'll, you know, many aspects of what we what we talk about uh, day to day, I know on, on a high level and I know details on certain things um, because I do have a boiler background and, and emissions and that type of stuff. But there are other things and, and uh, I'm not going to list them here. But uh, but to me, it's, it's important that uh, I need to uh, get into. I mean, I'll just say it on the electrical side, for instance, I, I my, my background <laughs> is I, I did a, I did PLC programming back the day. I did wiring. I, I do. I have a let some electrical background, but the sort of high voltage stuff that, that we do is fascinating and is not something I covered before. Mm. So the, the language is is not new to me, but I, I'll admit that 
um, the detail I have to get into is uh, more than I've had to before. So that, I, that's, I think, yeah. And I think what's really interesting about that too, Bill, is like, so you have the electrical side, you have the mechanical side, maybe in some ways you have the chemical side, yeah. but because CEM deals with so many different core competencies, like the knowledge that you almost have to have as a leader in our organization on the various core competencies that we are involved with, because the reality is, you know, biogas and RNG is very different from, you know, the energy management space to a degree. I mean, it, we're, it's all linked, right? But yeah. but you almost need to be somewhat, you know, a bit of a generalist in each of those areas because the people within the broader organization are relying on, you know, our leadership team to make key decisions in terms of how to roll things out or processes out or whatever that affect each of them, right? And in very different ways. That is that is so true, and just knowing the space in general, like you just you just named some uh, specific spaces that we that we work in, you have to know what's going on. Who are the players? You know what's what's acceptable that's not acceptable somewhere else. Like their standards are different. There's all kinds of things that that we need to know. But again, these are all what's what's neat to me is that I I, I love the energy space. So getting to know there's no limit to where where I want uh, my knowledge to go on these things because I'm already interested in in them and learning details is kind of what I do, right? Like I know a lot of engineers are like that, but I'm one of these clowns that goes onto YouTube for, for 12 hours straight, right? I just, I, I can't you know, <laughs> get into a, a rabbit hole on the, on the silliest thing. You know, there's- since, there's since you since you brought it up, I have to tell one of my one of my early Bill Davidson stories. I, I don't even know if you were uh, formally hired yet. And we, we met on a Monday or Tuesday and I asked Bill how his weekend was. <laughs> And uh, he said, yeah, it was good. I said, oh, what did you get up to? She says, oh, I, I, I watched YouTube. Mostly I watched YouTube on the weekend. Oh, oh, okay. And I knew I knew by then he had a family. I said, well, you do that with your boys? And, um, well, sometimes we do it together and sometimes we do it separately. And I thought, <laughs> okay, yeah, somebody. And, and then he explained to me what he, you know, either watches, you know, technology or philosophy, you know, YouTube videos. I thought, okay, this is, this is a, a, a way of consuming content and he enjoys yeah. it. So that's, uh, you know. We often say there are, you know, three or four qualities, particularly in a consultant, um, you know, passion is one, um, you know, authenticity is another one. And, and, <laughs> and that's, you know, that's something that you have is that, you know, level of authenticity and, and, and passion for what you do. Right. So, uh, so that's, that's very cool. Um, yeah. We're, ju we're jumping around a bit here, but I, you know, you, you, you breezed past waste to energy. And, and as we kind of try to figure out, you know, kind of a, the, the emerging world and and a circular economy and, and and things of that nature what's your you made reference to the ebbs and flows of uh, you know that industry without kind of leading the witness i mean what's your view of what uh Ooh. where that's going is it is it a you know is it jurisdictional is it what's your two cents on on uh on uh on waste of energy well, I mean, one thing that's happened since since I was involved in it all is that there there was a license given in uh, in Ontario. I forgot York Durham. I think yeah, it is, is, right. is the region yeah. right. So that that didn't yeah. exist when, when I when I was there. So um, you know, I can't say it hasn't moved because it has, but it hasn't moved much. It hasn't moved. You know, no. Right. Right. Um, and I, I mean, I have opinions on the subject, having kind of been at it um, at the at the forefront of it there for a little while, and really just trying to understand why don't we do this, right? Because it, it's it's a um, there, there's a lot of there's politics involved here, as you know, because you know the history of it uh, and that. But there's also just um, you know some I, I guess logical considerations and 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 things we need to to think about given political climates and that given political situations. You know, it, it's funny because we were, you know, years ago uh, when recycling was um, being pushed a lot, which it still is, right, but but maybe less so now. Um, what One of the things that was pointed to was European countries, especially Germany, I think, about how little of their, uh, a little of their waste ended up in land, landfills. But when but and the insinuation was that they're recycling all this, but of course that wasn't true. What they were doing was burning it, mm. right? And if you had mentioned that, it would be a completely different story. Not that there's not that that's wrong, but that's a totally different thing that you have to try to sell to the public. And the way I look at it is because I've been involved with it, I've seen firsthand what what you need. 
I am a little wary about it, and I'll be completely honest. And the reason why is because you have to have the political will when you're going to bring it in to bring in the emission controls. You can't mess around with it. Mm-hmm. You're talking about you're talking about shooting mercury, dioxins, and furans into the air. This is not something you can mess around with. So I do get a little nervous with um, maybe not the Europeans because they have a little more control over that. But in North America, um, are you sure that if you were just going to start burning waste, that the next government's not going to get rid of the EPA? (laughs) (laughs) Like you just that I have to admit that it that it weighs on me. Um, when I think about this, because I'm so for it, right? When when we were talking about, it, I was very convinced that this is this is a way to go. But if you're not all in politically, um, it's, it's it can be dangerous. So there you so, go. Go ahead. Oh, oh no, I was just gonna say I was gonna ask you, Bill. Like outside of what maybe CEM is involved with, at least to date, do you, like where do you think? What what major change or technology from an energy perspective, and I'm sort of somewhat provoking you here because I think I kind of know some of the answer of what you might say, you know, would really change the world that we live in today. And and maybe there's there's two two F words huh. <laughs> actually F words <laughs> that I'm thinking about to further provoke you. But I yeah. know you have a lot to say about it and you can speak very intelligently about it. So I'd love for you to focus a little bit on that if you could. Well, I mean, if I'm if I'm if I'm being honest and realistic with what I think is gonna happen in the near future to get us onto uh, I guess we'll just say mostly renewables. Um, uh, we're talking about nuclear fission, to be clear. Um, <laughs> so when you when you have when you're using modern reactors and such, um, I think that as long as we can prove it to the uh, public, as you know, there have been licenses already. This is after Three Mile Island, right? We went 25 years or something like that with no licenses in in the in the U.S. Uh, for any new builds, um, and then but recently there have been, and then there's been. Um, you know, talk about modular reactors and this type of thing. So really opening it up. And uh, I got lots to say about this, but I don't even know where to go. But but uh, the modular reactor idea to me is kind of like, oh, man, because you, you, you'd be dealing with so many people in the public with their own ideas who would have their own reactors. Right. Where um, we're all of a sudden I'm like, I don't know, is that really the way we want to go? I think it's a neat idea, but we really got to think about it. Now, the other F, another F you're talking about is obviously fusion. And um that to me is at the moment is, you know, I love the idea, but it's science fiction at the moment and, until it actually gets done. Um, you know, it, it it doesn't work. I shouldn't say it doesn't work on the bench scale. It's 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 uh, energy negative at the bench scale right now with the idea being that maybe once you scale it up, it's it's uh, it's going to be positive. Right. Um, and I would have said bef- just before a couple months ago that. Um, we didn't seem to be getting anywhere, but there were, if you were checking out the, the news in this area, there were some big um, leaps forward in a couple of the, the technologies. And, um, you know, the one I forget the, call, but the, the one that uses the, uh, the magnetic field uh, to control the, the reaction, um, they made this leap overnight um, in, in, in technology that uh, um, w- was so huge that all of a sudden it, it actually brings it back uh, into the realm of possibility. But it's just that it's just possibility. So and and then, you know, uh, there's there's so many things you have to get into when you talk about fusion. Like, are we going to be using tritium, for instance? Well, where do we get tritium from? Well, there's a, there's a whole bunch on the moon. Are we going to start um, drilling the moon now? Like, like there's there's all these things to think about. And uh, um, but I, I do think that realistically, I'm all for fusion. I want I hope they keep the, the reactions going, even though, you know, I'm not, I can't be totally optimistic on that that side of it. I hope they uh, keep the current projects going and put the money into it. I think it would be, um, it's it's worth it as an R&D sort of crapshoot um, because if it works, then we're, you know, we're saved uh, in, in, in a way, you know, cause you don't have the, the same type of waste. You just, you have iodine, which still is a, is a, uh, is not great, but it's obviously a lot easier to get rid of than mm. uh, the types of nuclear waste that we're used to. And of course the, the modern reactors, uh, now we're talking fission reactors, I, I do think would be our easier sell to the to the public now, even with Fukushima, and that because that put us back again um, on on that road. 
on the on the road to um, getting into not 100% renewables. I don't think that's ever, that's realistic, but whatever it is, 80%, whatever the long-term sort of goal is, you're still going to need something that's quick and fast, like gas or something like that. On the topic of on the topic of fusion, though, like, do you think we have kind of got a little bit, as, and we not not the three of us, but but society in general have gotten a little bit kind of comfortable and, and and arrogant that we figured out everything, and if we haven't figured it out, it can't be figured <laughs> out. And what I what I mean by that, if you think back 150 years, yeah, I don't know when we invited when we invented you know uh, electricity or or discovered. I think it's probably the right term. Um, you know, and the light bulb and at some point nuclear fission, like there was a time when all of those things were thought to be, you know, almost beyond the realm of possibility. And, and we got there, like, yeah. it, it, is this just, you know, light, uh, or, or, or light bulb a hundred yeah. years ago, or is it different? I don't think so. Because, because to, to be clear, we know that it works because we we have one working in our solar system and at, at a huge scale right so we know that the, you know that this type of plant can uh, can be produced but you, you we have to be realistic and and realize that there sometimes there are engineering challenges that are completely in, insurmountable we always assume that they're not and that's a great assumption and we want to start putting money into it and sell people on it even if in the back of our mind, we're like, I don't know if this is, there might be that something that comes up here, right? But it doesn't matter. You still work towards it. If that hurdle comes up, um, you, you uh, it, it then then you have, then you abandon it, but only then. And then you come back to it if something else from, you know, uh, serendipitously happens from, from a different uh, technology or something like that, you can always come back to it. But I do, uh, I understand what you're saying. And I think that is a good strategy to go in, assuming that you have, um, no real roadblocks if you can't see them yet. But I also think that there, you know, the the universe doesn't isn't here to help us. It seems right. There are certain things, you know, like the I would love to be able to to travel to other solar systems, but the the fact that we have a, a universal constant, the speed of light, it, it, it makes it so that that can't happen. At least not um, uh, from what we can see. And it the same could be true when it comes to actually getting um i'll call it cold fusion because because obviously we know if we had something the size of a uh, a sun we could do it but we don't so yeah. and we I may, know, I, we, part of me wonders you know at what point in edison's journey did he think that you know he was never going to make it and, and it was never going to be done even though he knew it probably could be done um i you know i lisa knows i like to go to my bookshelf uh, halfway through the conversation <laughs> and i referenced this one before this is uh Peter Thiel, the big uh, venture capitalist, uh, zero, yeah. zero to one. And, and, and the thesis is that, you know, it, it's that innovation that drives zero to one. It's easy to go from one to 10 and 10 to 100, but from zero, nothing to one, that's the real big step. And that's where, you know, yeah. it, it, it's, it's one thing to go from incandescent to, to LED. You know, that's, that's one to 100. Edison went from zero to one. Right. And, and so how do we keep going from zero to one as opposed to just financial arbitrage or just you know, mm. scaling or, you know, that kind of stuff. Right. So anyways, we go ahead. Bill, you wanted to respond to that. Well, I, I was just going to say that it, it completely depends on, on what we're talking about, because there's so many things that seem to be to be working incrementally. And, and you know, in my mind, uh, photovoltaics is one of those things, because. Um, yes. You know, through my, through my lifetime, you can you can look at the curve, and it's really really interesting. But does seem slow, right? But but compared to what, right? Well, we're right. comparing to other things where, like the, you mentioned that, you know, when we um, when we figured out nuclear fission, it was the I think it was the early 30s, was it 20s? Anyway, in Germany. Um, the, but before that happened, there were lots of people that didn't think it was possible. Even this is after Einstein, they still didn't think it was possible, right? It's just like eh. It just seems too much, like too much of a a quantum leap, so to speak. A quantum quantum leap is totally different. But anyway, um, <laughs> but the, <laughs> different subject. But uh, um, but as it turned out, it was a huge leap, right? When you went from before, I've forgotten the guy who 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 did it originally, um, uh, a German guy. But um, it, we we went from this thing being completely theoretical. I mean, it looked elegant, looked like an elegant solution. And uh, looked like it, it, it would uh, hold in real life, but again, we had no idea, really. Mm. And then he does it, boom. So. Yeah, it was 
you know, uh, by the same token, it was easy for Humpty Dumpty to fall off the wall to put him back together again, which was basically the difference between fission and fusion, <laughs> you know, was was quite a bit harder, right? So Yeah, true. Uh, but yeah, no, very interesting conversation and, and some good perspective. And, and uh, yeah, th- thanks for geeking out with us for, for, for this hour, Bill. We yeah. really appreciate yeah. it. I, uh, I, I love speaking with Bill all the time, whether it's on a personal or professional perspective from a personal or a personal uh, professional perspective. And I learned a ton from Bill and just his intro this, you know, today that I didn't know before. So thank right. you, Bill, for that. That was, uh, that was good. Good for me. Well, one more closing question, Bill, uh, yeah. to, to which I do not know the answer. Uh, yeah. What is your favorite Star Wars character? Ooh, this is really good. So I know this should be an easy answer, but, um, I, I am a fan of the original three movies, uh, as you probably know. Um, I have Darth Vader socks, I have Darth Vader tie, I have Darth Vader phone case. Um, I always liked Boba Fett. Um, I have B- Boba Fett socks, but I've just had this, I, I don't know, this this love of Darth Vader. There's just something really badass about him. And, uh, as I see Darth Vader on on uh, Matt's uh, bookshelf there. <laughs> yeah, but I, I have I have Chewbacca. You can't see them, but I have Chewbacca socks on today. Oh, but I yeah, have okay. this as well. Yeah. Uh, Darth Vader. Okay, I, I don't know if I would have picked that, uh, but uh, yeah, Bill's a Star Wars fan like I am. So I hope you're not psychoanalyzing me now that I've that I've said that. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, that just that's just another data point to confirm what I already knew about your psychology. So, um, <laughs> anyways, thank you for uh, for indulging us, Bill, and for being willing to, to come in front of us here on uh, on Energy Radio. Good to kind of chat about all the different things you've done and kind of where you see the the industry and the organization going, and, and mixing in a little bit of leadership and professional development and even some NDP politics. I, I didn't miss that reference, even though you claimed, <laughs> you, know, you know, Canadian politics. So I did thank you for, for your time. It's uh, very much appreciated. Are you on LinkedIn? If you want to connect with you, is that, uh, I know you're on our website, but are you on LinkedIn as well? Yeah, you can find me at, uh, I assume I'm William Davidson on LinkedIn. Anyway, William okay. Davidson, CEM, you'll find me easy. Right on. Good. Uh, well, thank you, Lisa. Thank you as well for setting this you're up. It was, was a was a good day in the studio back to back um so uh, listeners as always thank you for your time thank you for tuning in as always love uh, your feedback um matt at c-e-m-e-n-g.ca uh, would love a rating on on itunes or wherever you get your uh, podcasts and uh, if you can refer us to a friend or a colleague who would benefit as well until next time uh, stay safe and have fun thanks everybody thank, thank you. you guys have yeah. a good one